Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our children's ministry pastor, Manny Colazzo. Hello, this is Pastor Manny coming at you. Welcome to Calvary's Tuesday Night Church Online. And before we begin, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to just subscribe to the channel um, uh, so that you can be aware of when things are happening. Make sure to like the video and, and click the bell icon uh, next to the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time Calvary posts something. You don't miss anything. Or if you're watching online on the on our website um, or on, our, on the podcast, make sure to share the link. Share um, if this blesses you, if you enjoy it and you think it might be... Uh, beneficial to somebody else, uh, share it with them. Maybe it might be a blessing to them as much as it will be to you, I hope. All right, so let's begin. Are you ready to hear the world's greatest sermon? Well, it's not because I'm the one who's preaching it. It's because Jesus preached it. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew recorded for us in chapter 5 what I think is Jesus' greatest sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. In that passage in Matthew 5, we're told that Jesus was so famous that a great multitude was following him. And in response to the crowd that had gathered around him, the beginning of chapter 5 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. Now, he didn't do this because he wanted to get away from them. He went up on this hillside to gather them. He wanted the crowd to hear what he considered, what we consider to be the core of his teaching. The disciples were about to hear a countercultural sermon that would upset the whole social order. But the sermon that would be so disruptive... It wasn't about political victories, material blessings, or or toppling governments. It, It wasn't about trying to legislate this perfect utopian society by imposing strict rules and laws. No, this culture that Jesus was establishing was radically different and would challenge anything that they've heard before. Jesus began his teaching with the, what's known as the nine Beatitudes. And he does this to show us how countercultural the culture he was establishing would be. I mean, think about it. L- listen to who he says is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil. What? These are blessed people? You see, here's the thing. While people think that religious activity is what matters most to God, what Jesus is teaching in this passage is that identity matters first to God. Jesus wasn't saying, live this way and God will bless you. 
No, the Beatitudes take that and flip that on its head. Instead, Jesus is teaching them, you are blessed. So live this way. See, Jesus knew that once people really understood who God says they were, who God says they are, then how they should live would naturally follow. It's kind of like this. Has, everyone, has anyone ever told you something positive about you, to you? Maybe it was something that you couldn't see about yourself or appreciate about yourself. Maybe it was a coach or a, a mentor who pointed out your work ethic and how much it was paying off. Maybe it was a teacher who applauded you, a friend who celebrated you, and, or a parent who believed in you. I'm so proud of you. See, there's something about identifying words that bring out the best in us. Those kinds of words, they inspire us and motivate us to live up to that which they see in us. And, and this is what Jesus is telling those who heard him that day. Guys, this Jesus culture that I'm introducing to you, in this Jesus culture, the poor are blessed. Those who mourn are blessed. The meek and righteous are blessed. The pure, the peacemaker, the persecuted are blessed. Now, live as the blessed people that you are. And so, next time you read the Beatitudes, I want, to, I want you to resist the urge to dumb them down just to a, a list of tips and tricks and techniques for people who are trying to get God to bless them. No, because you see, the Beatitudes make known the people that are already blessed by God. And so, with that in mind, I thought it would be appropriate in light of all the unrest happening in our world, the chaos and conflict, the disruption happening around the world and in our country, to examine the seventh beatitude. It's the one that says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. That's verse 9, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. That's the one we're going to look at this evening. When I first read that, I have to be honest with you, it interfered with my comfort zone because it disrupted the way I naturally deal with conflict. And I, I would venture to say that if it had that effect on me, I'm sure it agitated those who were listening in the crowd that day, especially if there were any zealots. You see, in Jesus' time, there was a group of people known as zealots, and these guys they were a group of loosely connected Jewish rebels who believed that God would deliver Israel from the Roman rule through the sword. And so they favored a violent and armed rebellion against the Roman Empire. They dedicated themselves to chipping away at Roman oppression with guerrilla-type warfare. And did you know that Jesus had a zealot on his team of 12? His name was Simon the Zealot. Imagine what it must have been like for Simon and any of the other zealots in the crowd that day to hear Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers. Guys, peacemakers are blessed. I'm sure it rubbed them the wrong way. What are you talking about? Well, guys, if you're going to be my followers, 
If you're not, you're not going to be, you're not going to find blessedness by being troublemakers and instigating a revolution. Oh no. See, Jesus wants them and us to know that the proper attitude towards conflict is to be a peacemaker. Well, how about you? Do you feel friction when you read the ninth, the seventh beatitude? Maybe it, it rubs you the wrong way because of your past. Somewhere in your past, you learn to, to stuff conflict, maybe by using force or by uh, throwing out threats or even intimidation. For others of you, you might feel that peacemaking comes easy because your personality just causes you to Deny it when there's conflict. You sweep it under the rug. Or maybe it's for you, it's just a pattern. It's a pattern for you to ignore conflict by burying your head in the sand. Hey, as long as I ignore the problem, then it must not really be happening. But this can't be, none of these can be what Jesus means by peacemaker. Because from what I know about Jesus, I don't think he is promoting a peace at all costs mentality that dodges and sidesteps problems. See, any peace that is achieved by these means is not real peace at all. Hey, it might be the absence of strife, but it's not true peace. Because instead of solving problems, these approaches create more problems. It breeds resentment and ultimately it doesn't provide the blessing that this beatitude promises. And so let me see if I can illustrate the attitude behind this beatitude. The word peacemaker comes from a root word that means to connect. To connect what has been disconnected. To connect what has been disconnected. It comes from a word that means to unite, kind of like these, this puzzle piece right here, to unite what has been divided, to unite what has been divided. Or another word for, it could mean to repair that which has been broken, to connect, to unite, to repair. The best word I could think of for what a peacemaker does is the word reconciliation. Say that right now. You're watching right now on the screen. Say the word reconciliation. I know it's a big word, so let's unpack it. Do you remember that disagreement that you had with a friend? Or, or maybe it was a, a co-worker, a family member. Perhaps for you, it just happened today between you and your spouse. You got into it in the car or over the phone. Perhaps it was a neighbor. The disagreement occurred with this neighbor that has that annoying tree that's invading your yard and you constantly have to cut it back out of the yard. Listen, could you just take care of that tree, you tell them? It doesn't really what the argument was about. The point is that because of this conflict, the relationship you once enjoyed with that person is now damaged. 
communication becomes awkward. The interaction is uncomfortable. You avoid each other. You even avoid making eye contact. Little by little, you're drifting apart. And if it's not corrected before you realize it, you'll become strangers. Well, reconciliation, what a peacemaker does, reverses the separation. See, to be reconciled is to reconnect, to reunite, to repair. When old friends do the hard work of restoring their relationship by resolving their differences, reconciliation has occurred. So, what Jesus wants us to know when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, he wants us to know that reconciliation receives validation from God. See, when you lean into those messy situations and you infuse them with peaceable solutions, you share God's passion for peace and you'll receive validation from God. Why? Because you are doing a God-like work. And so, folks, here's my encouragement to you this evening. Here's our tagline for this evening. Reconciliation receives validation. Reconciliation receives validation. So when do we need reconciliation? I can think of three relationships in which we need reconciliation. First, and most important, we need reconciliation with God. In the document that he wrote to the Colossians, Paul tells them that they needed to be reconciled with God because they were his enemies. In Colossians 1 verse 21, he says, At one time you were far away from God and were his enemies because of the evil things you did and thought. Apparently, it's possible for a person to be so at odds with God that their status with God could be described as God's enemy. I read a story of a pastor who was debating the atheist Sam Harris. And he asked Sam, Sam, why don't you believe that there is a God? Well, during the debate, it was discovered that it wasn't that Sam could not believe. It was that he would not believe in a God that would cause him to change his lifestyle. And I quote, I refuse to believe in a God that will cause me to change my lifestyle. But when you think about it, isn't that what causes all people to be at war with God? It began with Adam and Eve and their rebellion against him. We want to be in control of our lives. We don't want to have a boss. We want to be boss. I don't want something, somebody telling me what is right and wrong. I want to determine what is right or wrong according to what's convenient for me. And it is this fight that makes us and God enemies. It's to fight the battle for control. But a peacemaker seeks reconciliation with God. How does that happen? Well, in the, sec in the next verse of that passage in Colossians that I mentioned, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Look at verse 22. 
He says, At one time you were far away from God and were his enemies because of the evil things you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of his son, God has made you friends. God has reconciled you. He has connected that which was disconnected. He has united that which has been separated. He has repaired what has been broken. So here's the unique thing. Here's what's cool. In actuality, even though you might want to make peace with God now, understand this. God has been trying to make peace way before you started. He has had his hand of peace extended towards man by the means of the physical death. Of his son. Isn't that neat? Isn't that encouraging? Are you at war with your creator? Are you fighting him for the control of your life? Is it possible that the reason why you're not experiencing peace in your life is because you have not yet made peace with God? Would you like to be friends with him? Well, I have some good news. God has made it possible for that to happen. When Jesus died on the crossed wood, he paved the way for peace. And so if you're listening and you have never accepted God's offer to settle your differences with him, here's how you do that. Express your heart to him. Direct your thoughts about him to him. He hears you. He understands you. That is called prayer. And in that prayer, admit that you are at odds with him. Maybe it sounds something like this. God, I want to be the boss, but I know you are. And that's why we are at odds. That's why we are at war. And then believe that what Jesus accomplished on the crossed wood made you not just a friend of God, but as we read in this beatitude, a child of God. So here's what we're seeing. Reconciliation with God receives validation from God. Reconciliation with God receives validation from God. When do we need this reconciliation? First, we need reconciliation with God. The second relationship we need reconciliation in is with others. With others. In the movie, A Straight Story, it tells the story of Alvin Strait, a 73-year-old man who determines to visit his estranged brother, Lyle. You find out in the story that Alvin hasn't seen or spoken to Lyle in over 10 years. In one of the scenes, Alan is talking to a pastor about his brother. And the pastor asks him, So, whatever happened between the two of you? At this point in the scene, you can tell that things are getting serious. They're about to get deep. His eyes tear up. And he explains, Well, pastor... The story is as old as Cain and Abel. Anger, vanity, 
Mix that together with liquor and you've got two brothers who haven't spoken to each other, each other in 10 years. Freeze frame. We'll come back to the story. You know, it's sad, but that situation between the brothers, Alvin and Lyle, describes many families and marriages, jobs and communities, even churches where peace is absent. Sometimes it's others who intentionally pick a fight with you. But yet there are other times where we can be unaware of how selfishness and greed can cause injury on somebody else. And at other times we are responsible for sabotaging our peace. You know what I mean. Come on. You said it before. I'm sure you even thought it. What do they mean by that? Why does he always hurt me? Why does she treat me that way? We hear people's words. We see what they do. And then we assume that we know their motives. And we choose to be offended. And then we cancel them out of our lives. You remember the last time you were at odds with someone? Maybe over something obvious. Or maybe it could have been something subtle that happened, like an expectation that you had that went unmet. Or maybe something more direct, like a promise that was made. And then they broke their promise to you. Hey, like punches in a street fight, wild words were exchanged and the damage was done. Listen, perhaps in another situation, you were able to avoid an explosion. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the fuse was not lit. And it's been burning you ever since. But what was your knee-jerk reaction? What did you do? Perhaps you responded by running from the problem. Some of us avoid problems by, by twisting it. Some of us avoid it by, by blaming other people. Or some of us just make believe. We pretend nothing's wrong. Others even start fights because of the problem. And then we engage by putting them down, gossiping behind their back, or, or maybe even getting physical. Do you remember the last time that happened? Question. When you handle conflict your way, did it provide the blessing that Jesus promises in this beatitude. Listen, the peacemaker, whether they are at fault or not, the peacemaker takes responsibility and strives to be reconciled with others. Back to the movie. As the scene with the pastor continues to unfold, you can see Alvin's demeanor change. His mannerisms, his voice, let you know how deeply he is grieving the barrier between him and his brother. And so he adds, whatever it was that made me and Lyle so mad, it doesn't matter anymore. I 
just want to make peace with him. That is a great example of the wisdom found in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But how do we do that? How do we live at peace? How do we pursue peace with others? How do we make headway and be reconciled with others? Well, here's one suggestion. We can reconcile with others by letting it go. We can reconcile with others by letting it go. See, a peacemaker is not required to confront a person every time he or she is offended. In fact, there are many times that the wisest and most peaceful course of action is let it go. I mean, think about it. If my wife chose to address every offense I've committed, and listen, I've given her many opportunities, she would be one busy gal. So here's what I mean by let it go. Choose to forgive. Excuse me? Do you understand what they've done? Isn't that the same as ignoring or denying it? No, 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 no. You must have a misunderstanding about what forgiveness is if that's what you're thinking. Forgiveness is not the same as sweeping it under the rug. No. Forgiveness squares off with the offense. It looks it dead in the eyes. It acknowledges that an offense has disrupted peace. Genuine forgiveness faces it, feels it, but then you choose to conquer the offense by absorbing it and letting go. That's one way to seek reconciliation. There are several examples of people in the scriptures that chose to absorb the wrong and let it go. Think of the Old Testament story of Joseph and his brothers. King David and Saul. What about Stephen and the angry mob in the book of Acts? My wife. <laughs> I'm sure there are many times that she follows the examples of Jesus and says to, her, says to herself, Father, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. They are all examples of the ancient wisdom of Proverbs. A man's understanding makes him slow to anger. It is his honor to forgive and forget a wrong done to him. That's Proverbs 19, verse 11. Another way to reconcile with others is first is let it go. Second is let them know. In other words, go directly to the other person and talk out your disagreement. And as you do that, remember that the goal is to restore peace, not give them a piece of your mind. As Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if, you, if he listens to you, you have reconciled. You have gained your brother. There are those times that your situation might be especially confusing. In those instances, there is a third way to be reconciled with others, which might be appropriate. Number one, 
let it go. Number two, let them know. Number three, ask for it. Ask for what? Ask for help. It's appropriate in those times to find a fellow peacemaker to help you decide how to best resolve the conflict you are in. Again, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is there a broken relationship with a friend? A family member or a co-worker? Or maybe at your church there's a relationship that needs mending. Are you aware of a disconnect that has occurred? A disconnect that needs reconnecting? Is there a division that needs unity? Even if you're not at fault, instead of pouting and throwing a fit, making it all about you or sulking in self-pity, take responsibility. Be a peacemaker. Strive for reconciliation. Perhaps right now you need to pull out your cell phone right now and you need to fire off a text apologizing. I'm sorry. We need to talk. Let me know when you're ready. Is there a high stakes conversation that needs to happen? Well, schedule the appointment. Don't delay. Did you just throw down the hammer with your spouse? Maybe you need to lean over and as a sign of peace, whisper, Hey, I'm laying it down. I'm sorry. Or maybe in this instance, the wisest thing for you to do is to take one for the team, absorb the hurt, and let it go. Are you not sure what to do? Then find another peacemaker and ask their advice. Because here's what we know. Those who are reconciled with others will be validated. See, reconciliation with others receives validation from God. Reconciliation with others receives validation from God. There's a third instance in which we need to seek reconciliation. Have you ever been a bystander when people are at each other's throats? Sometimes what causes the disturbance is a misunderstanding or a, a mistake that has been made. But I'm talking about those times when, when sparks begin to fly because a serious offense has been committed. It's during those times that when emotions are high and dueling people are unable to gain any traction towards a, a peaceful resolution. And so in those instances, a peacemaker strives for reconciliation on behalf of others. Number one, a peacemaker works towards reconciliation with God. A peacemaker works with re towards reconciliation with others. But number three, a peacemaker works towards reconciliation on behalf of others. In 1993, the United Nations sent Romero Dallaire, a Canadian, to lead a peacekeeping mission to Rwanda where the Tutsis and the Hutus were at war. And even though they didn't succeed, the tensions increased so much that Romero and his small UN peacekeeping force 
remained in Rwanda while all the other nations pulled out. Romero and his team, they are a great example of what it means to be a peacemaker on behalf of others. Like Romero, peacemakers are willing to disrupt their own peace in order to help others find peace. You see, peacemaking is not evasive. When divisive comments are made, when they're posted on Facebook or, or tweeted, a peacemaker doesn't move out of the way, but carefully and courageously steps into the crossfire and they help to reconcile the differences. See, peacemaking isn't passive either. Peacemaking is assertive. When siblings or spouses are squabbling, peacemakers call time out. They help identify and, and overcome what's causing the problem. They do that by helping facilitate clear communication. They seek to understand all sides. They ask questions. They rephrase what's being said in such a way that the opposing parties can understand and hear each other. You see, a peacemaker is willing to serve as a trusted mediator. Ten years ago, on November 21st, while supporting Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Private First Class Kyle Carpenter threw himself on a grenade that was thrown onto a rooftop. And even though he sustained and survived serious injuries to his face and his right arm, Kyle was willing to sacrifice himself to save the life of a fellow Marine. Like Kyle, peacemaking is also proactive. When a clash is about to occur, a peacemaker intervenes. And if that clash does occur, he or she is willing to fall on the grenade, so to speak, absorb some of the blow to minimize greater damage. But then they stick around to pick up the pieces and begin the process of reconciliation. Do you know of someone or do you know of a situation that could use the services of a peacemaker? Maybe it's that friend or family member that's at war with God. Has God embedded you in their life to be the peacemaker? Ask God to give you an opportunity to find out if they want to know more about how to find the peace that they're searching for. And then tell them about the gospel. Or maybe you have co-workers that are upset with management. Or perhaps you're in the midst of a family dispute with parents or an ex-spouse. Have the courage to step up and speak up. Cease fire. Call a truce. And begin the challenging work of diffusing the tension. But as you do that, I want you to remember the words of World War II General Douglas MacArthur. He said, a truce just says you don't shoot for a while. But peace comes when the truth is known, the issue is settled, and the parties embrace each other. See, that's why my encouragement to you tonight is reconciliation on behalf of others receives validation from God. 
reconciliation on behalf of others receives validation from God. I don't know about you, but being a peacemaker sure does sound like a, a high stress, high risk proposition. I mean, think about what that means. Why would anyone choose to step into the war of the war of words? What would possess someone to risk getting caught in the crosshairs of battling spouses? Believe me, I personally have experiences firsthand. Pastor friends have told me stories of being called to the scene to help settle disputes. And when they step in to neutralize the situation, they're turned on by the victim and sometimes both. Why would someone be a peacemaker when it could be such a thankless job? Well, in this verse, Jesus tells us why. Even if those you're trying to help turn on you, you are blessed because peacemakers will be called sons of God. What an honor. God doesn't just sit back and applaud us, pat us in the back and tell us, good job, and then send us on our way. Oh, no. But when we share his passion for peace, God proudly identifies with us and says, do you see what he did? That's my boy. That's my girl. Look at what, how they're working towards peace. Even when it's difficult, they're willing to give up their peace in order to help others find peace. Those are my kids. You see, that is validation. And isn't that true of any parent? When your child follows in your footsteps, embraces the values that you taught them, and they begin to live the way you live, you stick out your chest a little bit, don't you? You're proud to say, hey, that's a Smith. That's a Colazzo. Yes, that is a Holdridge. Many years ago, I think my son must have been around 8, 10 years old. We were on vacation in Dominican Republic, hanging out with some family friends, some family members at this wedding. And he was meeting a boy of a similar age, and my son sticks out his hand to shake this boy's hand. And... This boy that he was meeting sticks out his hand and gives him one of these limp, soft handshakes. And my son looks at him and says, Hey, let, let's do that again. Shake my hand like a man. <laughs> you know, that's something that I taught him. You see, both my boys, when I watch them introduce themselves to adults, they will shake their hand, they will shake your hand firmly. They'll look you in the eye and they'll smile. And that makes me so proud because they're being an accurate representation of me or of something that I taught them. And I validate them. How? That's a colazo. That's my boy. So what does God's validation do for you and me? You see, when we sense our Heavenly Father's validation, when He validates us as His children, hmm, 
that it causes him to be so proud that he identifies with us. Wow, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're acting, you're behaving, you learn that from me. See, his validation lets you know that your heavenly father accepts you, that he loves you. Validation, his validation lets you know that your heavenly father approves of your decisions and the direction in which you are headed in. When you receive the heavenly father's validation, it reinforces your identity by letting you know that you are becoming like him. And so folks, that is why a peacemaker is blessed. Peacemaking supremely satisfies because God validates you as a child of God. Reconciliation receives validation from God. See, this virtue of peace is fundamental to who God is. It's fundamental to his nature and to his character. And so in conclusion, let me really quick show you three ways in which we see God being a God of peace. First, it's one of his names. It's one of the names that we can call God. In the book of Judges, Gideon calls God Jehovah Shalom, which is Hebrew for the Lord of peace. Paul even calls him the God of peace in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Second, since God's Son is the exact representation of God the Father, it shouldn't surprise us that when Paul writes about Jesus, he says, Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus is the one who destroyed the barrier that removed the dividing wall that created hostility between God and humanity. And finally, God's message is referred to as the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6. And so when we ask the question, why should followers of Jesus do the hard work of being a peacemaker? The bottom line reason is because that is what our heavenly father is like. God is a peacemaker. Has there been a painful disconnect from someone in your past? Is there, is there a divisive situation in which God has strategically positioned you to facilitate peacemaking? Those relationships are important to God. Listen, listen. Listen to how important relationships are to him. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, we were just in chapter 5, but if you pass, fast forward a few chapters, you read that Jesus says that if you're offering a gift and you come to the temple to God to worship, and there remember that your brother or sister, a friend, or has something against you, Jesus tells you, hey, stop, press pause, leave your gift of worship right there at the altar. In other words, stop. Quit with your religious duties. God is going to be okay. He's not desperate for your gift. He doesn't need your worship. He'll be there when you get back 
to resume your worship. And so the way you authenticate that you are a child of God is to be reconciled with that person to God. The priority is the relationship. Be reconciled, then bring your gift. And so I hope you sense the urgency and the priority of this beatitude. Take care of it now, today. Don't delay. Begin the process of reconciliation by being a peacemaker. Do you need to make amends and do the hard work of mending a broken relationship? Don't run from it. Yes, be careful, but also be courageous. Don't fight because that never works. It's never generated genuine peace. Instead, be a peacemaker. And if you are at war with God today, Jesus is your road to peace with God. Follow him. Hmm. But the thrust of this beatitude is not just that we strive to preserve peace and restore peace. The point of this beatitude is the blessing that when we do so, when we pursue peace, when we make peace, we are privileged to be celebrated by God as children of God. And so that's why I say, I repeat for you again tonight, reconciliation receives validation from God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.